also try to be longer than nine to five, I guess. Yeah, we got to find <laughs> well, a balance. Well, I th- yeah, I think that balance could be found. I though. think with some slow editing uh, towards the back half of the episode, we can we can reach our goal. <laughs> we can reach yeah. our yeah. goal. We'll just be like, let's let's get to the point. Let's get Man. to the point. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that it's wasted time anywhere in the movie, but it just. It just. There's so much. There's. There's a lot, a lot of movie. Yeah. Yeah. I watched part of it last night, and uh, it was making me sleepy. The beginning is kind of a little sleepy, which is good. I kind of like that vibe in the beginning. Yeah. It of feels this. like the good adaptation of a long novel. Mm, okay. Is, is kind of how it feels. I mean, it's not, but it's. No. It, but it feels. You know, like it's trying to make sure we get all those plot beats and all that sort of texture in a way that works in a way that works yeah. uh slavishly but no it's just this they came up with that and it really does feel epic in scope in a kind of a very yeah. classical style i think as well yeah i mean of course feels so indebted to 2001 and as far as being that kind of grand three-hour space epic too. yeah who thought you could have got that out of a 2022 uh take on beavis and butthead <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where we are not talking about Beavis and Butthead. No, we are talking about Matthew Mahogany in Interstellar, and uh, we're going to have a good time doing all of that. I am still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And in case you're tuning in for the very first time, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show, and that means we are going to spoil Interstellar. We will find out if that highway system to the stars is ever developed or not. Yeah, we will be seeing you on the other side, Slick. And the question I have to ask is, do they have tolls or not to pay for the road? Do they go ahead and take out the toll booths once they pay for the road? Oh, no. They'll find new 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 means to to charge that revenue. Yeah, because the Interstellar Highway Project... This joke is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a Hitchhiker's Guide joke. I get what you're doing. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to spoil the movie, though. And that does mean that if you haven't caught Interstellar, uh, you may want to know when the spoilers will happen in this particular podcast that you're putting in your ears. So it looks like this. We're going to have a synopsis, which will be spoiler-free, like you read from a synopsis. Then we're going to have thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, which are going to be like what you would find in a review in which we might talk about the plot but not what's going to happen necessarily then we'll move into a game called expand the syllabus which might involve some spoilers of this film but more likely um interstellar spoilers of the constellation of films that might surround this movie and then we'll move on to analysis at which point all spoilers are off you have now entered in the gargantuan uh black hole and um yeah you've been warned or you should have been warned you should have known better You've crossed the event horizon. So with that, Arthur, do you have a synopsis for us, please? Set in the near future, a farmer and his daughter stumble across a secret warehouse which might hold the key to humanity's survival. Ooh, succinct. That, that mysterious. Is, that you. is that is thoroughly mysterious. That 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 is um yeah, um tagline almost of it. I like it. Yeah, though. Christopher Nolan would love that. You yeah. know how love how vague he loves to be wow, and yeah. run up to the releases of his stuff. Yeah. He's yeah. salivating at that synopsis. He wishes it was eight years ago. Call me Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I'll work on Oppenheimer for you. Yeah, oh, how do man. you sell Oppenheimer? Jesus. I I I hear it goes badly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Up in smoke, you might say. <laughs> oh man. Oh gosh. All right, well let's do some thumbs up thumbs down. We've all seen it before, yes. Did we all see this in theaters? I did. I not. did. You I was I was late to the game. I, I caught it on I don't know some streaming service. Well, I'm most point. interested. In, right. I'm most interested in your opinion since you you missed the 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 grand scope. I got to see this in 70 millimeter. Oh not, no, not no, in IMAX. No, no, no. I, not, no, I didn't get to go in IMAX. It was just regular 70. Mm-hmm. It, what, what, what's it, it like cool. in the expanded universe? <laughs> big. <laughs> it's big. It's expanded. You know, there's cigarette burns in the top right every once in a while, and you get to go. Ooh, hey, they still have those. Yeah, but what do all immersed kids do? What do they do in the novels? Yeah, yeah, who knows? Do you know this? This was uh, gestating for a while. Speaking of though, um, you know, no novels, but uh, I, I do have some expanded universe talk for you. Okay, this was almost a Steven Spielberg project. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Kip Thorne, the physicist, wrote a story treatment. Okay, uh, and Spielberg was attached, and then Amblin's stuff moved over to working with Disney, and so it was you know left over at Paramount, and that's when Jonathan Nolan had written the screenplay treatment. So that's when Chris came in. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting uh, journey to the screen for this one, especially hmm. with like, there's some horse trading that goes on between Warner Brothers and Paramount since they co-produce, co-finance this movie. Since they both had stakes in um, Friday the 13th and uh, South Park, there's some like weird horse trading on those two properties. To, to like, make the Interstellar movie. To co-finance Interstellar. Every, yeah, everybody wanted a piece of this. This was, you know, this was a big movie for, for Nolan. Well, it was a follow-up to Inception. To Inception and, and to the Dark Knight trilogy, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably going, getting greenlit as 
Dark Knights, Knight Dark Knight Rises, and what post probably yeah. as this is like getting on its feet. So, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. Instantly, yeah. Sellable. Piece yeah, of, uh, I, I think you know it's pre-Tenant, right? The mm. Tenant, I think, has hurt his career a little bit. It just he was convinced he could make box offices, you know, fight the pandemic. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think pre-Tenant, like he's. I mean, he's just got a run of three crazy hits, just like next level hits for Warner Brothers. Mm, yeah, for sure. Well, so. um, I, I can go first. Yeah. I don't mind at all. Um, I like it. It's a, it's made of good movie. How about that? Okay. Uh, uh, it works. I mean, I'll tell you what. Uh, we, you feel reserved. The, the, there's, it is long. <laughs> I'm going to just tell you right now. I don't know where I, I'm not, I'm not a film editor. I'm not a story editor, and so I don't know where one would do what one would do, but one should do something. You think? I do. Okay. Because it's just, I I don't care enough. Um, and I, I think there is a way in which uh, Jonathan Nolan's screenplay is making this gesture towards realism in uh, making this Jessica Chastain character as she's growing up, Murphy, so unlikable, and also, honestly, making Matthew McConaughey's character a little bit Captain Ahab-esque, mm-hmm. you know, obsession-driven, in a way that makes him just a little bit unlikable. Uh, same with Anne Hathaway. Uh, and I think the screenplay is a little unfair to her. You think everybody's unlikable, huh? Uh, well, I, I I don't think they're entirely unlikable. But, but you think they have unlikable traits, which think, is good. I think they leaned a little harder into it than they wanted. Yeah, uh, that, that, that If you're making that movie about these unlikable characters and we're sort of doing this kind of thing, that that's totally fine. If, if that's the kind of movie you're making. But if you're making the sort of mythic hero kind Kind of film, I, I think there need. I think the movie needs a little more sheen. Honestly, I, I this is. I, I never argue for this, but um, the unlikability of it just made me go. You know, you just burnt your brother's field down. I mean, you're doing it for the right things, but you're also doing it just so you can steal your way back into the cabin so you can get information. And they do kind of gloss over that. That yeah. kind of sucks. Yeah. You know. That's fair. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, there's a little bit of this, like, I refuse to be a farmer, and I find my first opportunity to do something, and I, and I, and I get that he's duped, but Michael Caine's character is even uh, also, I mean, sure. done in this kind of, like, dirty Machiavellian kind of way here, which I, I understand part of the interest and pleasure of, the, of watching these kinds of films is the way in which there are these secrets that are being kept, they're being revealed, but... I it's it's a little cavalier in 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 his deployment of unlikability. So that's my one criticism there. I feel I, like Brand comes out looking other than like if you can get past the you know if if you're not a Hathaway hater you know if you can no. get past kind of the the theater kid energy that she has that some people kind of recoil from. No. I think she's kind of likable. You know she's, I, I think she's, she's likable. I I think there's a weird way in which you know you have any sort of manly kind of moment. She's always weak. Uh, like fighting G's, she passes out, and mm. McCon- McConaughey doesn't. And-, and McConaughey has to be like, "We're not going to the planet of the guy you love." Right? Yeah. yeah okay, th- sure. So there, there's a little bit of this, like you know, you and your woman emotionalism kind of. And I, I don't pretty, care. Pretty Nolan-y. That, yeah. <laughs> and and I don't care for that. I don't think that makes her unlikable. Though. No, that, that's not, that's a different criticism. Gotcha. So I, I've shifted to something else. I see. I I, I think that she's a little hard in ways that are sort of unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, there are ways in which her humanizing characteristics are all sort of played as weaknesses. It's too soft, I see. And, 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 and I don't care for that either. And so there's just a little bit of characterization that's just a little strange for me in the film. That I, Again, I, the, the closest thing I'm going to get to a criticism of the whole movie, which is otherwise incredibly realized. Uh, I'll tell you what. I want more scores with organ music. That's what I want. Yeah, I I like a good score with lots and lots and lots of organ. I got it, another one for you. Uh, it, it 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 it. What's that? This is another this is another projection tidbit. Yeah, uh, Nolan kind of wanted Hans to steer clear of like big strings, big orchestral sounds. You know, because oh. he knew and drums. Yeah, and big drums <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he didn't want the two thousand one thing. He didn't want those comparisons. He wanted the sound to be you know different. Not well, some bad of, news for him. What? Yeah, you think you, you oh, think two thousand one is there? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I don't. That, that would that, he, that he was wanted not a different sound though. Uh, unless you know, sort it, it of space doesn't sound orchestral. like Inception. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, I I love the use of organ because mm-hmm. I think. I think it also hits this sort of semi-spiritual note because of its association with uh, classic church music. Sure. And so I think that really, really works for it very, very well. I love the science of it. Th- that is just great cool. and tons and tons of fun. And uh, yeah, so I, I, those aspects of it are much more successful uh, for the movie. But again, if I'm going to quibble at all, I'm going to quibble there. Because I, I do think when they go hard in the paint for unlikable characters, they do a great job with, say, Matt Damon. Dr. Mann, who yeah. is a, a great, incredible character. Great 
great heel there. And I love the, I love our robots. Tars and Case? Yeah. My I, boys. I love They're great. Our, yeah, our, our robots are actually the best characters in the movie. One, 100%. Yeah. Which, well, and Tars is voiced and puppeted by the great Bill Irwin. Come mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So uh, that all really, really works for me there. So, yeah. Anyway, um, the rest of it is, is fine. Um, again, everybody's doing good work. Nobody's phoning anything in. But again, I, I wonder a little bit about... I'm, honestly, my, my faulting is going to screenplay stuff just a little bit. I'm like, I, I think maybe you would do something different in characterization bits here and there and either soften some places or just go full out negative characters um, and go there with it. Uh, that That's just totally fine. But they're, they're sort of trying to have their cake and eat it too in a way that didn't quite work for me. you know. And maybe on another viewing, I might think differently. But as of right now, like, eh, it's fine. But um, otherwise, everyone, everything else thematically that all works. I love the world of the sort of new Dust Bowl. I just happen to be reading John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath oh, cool. by Kismet uh, at right now. And so um, that, those Dust Bowl thoughts are, you know, I, I think really well realized. And I really enjoy the Ken Burnsiness. I think those uh, are from the Kinsburn Dust Bowl doc. I think everybody except Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, and that works for me. I'm, I'm kind of down for that. It's clever. So yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so generally I like it a lot. Um, but again, I, I, I just wonder again about characterization, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, just not that I would change any of the plot beats or anything like that. It's just how do we get to know these individual characters and their motivations? I, I, I wonder if there couldn't be a little bit of tweaking there. And so I, I'm not sure what, what exactly I would suggest. I'm cu- I'm curious because of how you feel about some of the characterization stuff. How you feel about like when the emotional bricks hit. Like, mm-hmm. do you, do you get hit when when the anvil gets pushed off when when McConaughey's driving away from the farm sobbing and we cut to the the rocket blasting off? Does that hit for you? That works. That, that part. That, that, do those moments work? That part works. And <clears throat> even the initial sort of um, "I hate you" kind of you know I can't believe you mm-hmm. want you just go ahead and die already mm-hmm. kind of you know sort of young child reaction. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that young child never gets never never grows. That Jessica, that, that that child who becomes Jessica Chastain, remains stunted in that place. Sure, okay, yeah, uh, it just seems a little strange. To Interesting, me. Okay. I, like I don't quite buy that. Um, I, I get his willingness to go and his willingness to leave and his like uh, uh, absolute understanding that he has to go. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine, but it's. I, I I think there's this sort of weird connection where he is. He he either needs to hate farming more or like it. Or like it more. I, I can't. I, one or the other. Yeah. It's just. It's. It's not enough of either. He needs to. He needs to really despise it more and be bad at it, or he needs to really be good at it and be pulled back out. I. I that's kind of what I want from him. Okay. You know. And it just. It's it just. It, it's a weird muddle for me. So anyway, that's just my, my initial reaction. So what do you think, Arthur? Do you have any thoughts on Interstellar? Do you remain fascinated by Dustin's takes as I do? Yes, usually. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's thought a lot more about the characterization about this movie than I have. Um, it's it's it is it is made of good movie. That's a good mm-hmm, way to put mm-hmm. it. I um, and it is long. Yes. Uh, at, at three hours, I think for me there is one spot. I, I referenced it already, but there is that cross cutting that takes place um, after we've encountered uh, Matt Damon, and there's things happening on the planet and on Earth, and there's like this cross cutting back and forth between as the tensions continue to ratchet, mm. and it's constantly like, okay, okay, is this the okay? Just another beat. Okay, wait, oh no, more rumble beat. Okay, all right, there's one more beat here. Like they just keep that cross cut montage going. I think a little too long to really mm. get where they're going with it. That's um, fair. You know, so there's things like that, I think. Where you and can... it's kind of a classic Nolan, like, let's have multiple things going on at once. Yeah. You know, he loves that kind of parallel tension. Yeah. But I'm with you that, like, the tension of the man planet stuff is, like, so much more, yeah. <laughs> like, bearing. Yeah. And for me, the pacing is not really an issue until that moment where it kind of, like, I think stutters mm. through that. Um, I, I think everybody's, you know, doing good work. I, I like everybody involved in this project, except for maybe Topher Grace, who feels just very random. Uh, pulled in here uh, is just hey Topher Grace makes you wonder if Nolan's of that '70s show head. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, mm. you know, uh, it's kind of a fun pool, but also just a random pool. Uh, yeah, Tars is a standout. Just such good writing. Those the, the comedy bits there are so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, between and then great chemistry with McConaughey too to play off of each other. That banter is really fun. Uh, I, I love the look of this movie. I, I think it's just stunning production design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 
character design. The the robots when they turn into pinwheels and like roll across things is really cool. And they uh, have their little forks open up to like pick stuff up yeah. or like maneuver joysticks. Yeah, oh, cool. Uh, the water planet scares me uh, infinitely. Uh, of all the planets, that would be the scariest <clears throat> for me. Uh, Ice planet is also um, not as scary uh, for some reason. Uh, the the water thing just is uh, very very very. Uh, and frightening for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all of that is just, I mean, it's just gorgeous. Just seeing it, uh, just the way that all plays. Uh, that tight, I don't know what you call that shot, but it's like, you know, those mounted cameras on the sides of vehicles yeah. that are just used throughout. Yeah. Uh, we saw Reeves do that with the Batman, sure. the Batmobile chase this year. Um, a lot of those shots is really interesting perspective there. Uh, I, I think it's just, it's so well made. It looks great. It feels epic, kind of in a classic '70s style of epic, or '60s style of epic filmmaking. Um, but it never goes to that next gear for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel just a little detached. Like none of those emotional beats really hit me. And maybe if I was, you know, if it was kind of the herd thing, if I was a father, if I was a parent, maybe it would hit a little harder. Nah. Um, there you go. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just being stupid. I think the uh, the way in which uh, I, I think it does a good job of explaining things in ways that don't feel like exposition dumps, mm-hmm. like something like The Prestige, which I mm-hmm. love, but really think that third act explanation kind of dampens it a little bit, the, the mystique and the intrigue, because this is one of those things like, I don't understand quantum theory. I don't understand string. I don't understand black holes, wormholes, any of that stuff makes zero sense to me. And so for this to kind of you know do that in a way that is thought out, delivering these lines, obviously they're explained to you in conversation, but it doesn't feel like it's stopping the movie to give you that information like mm-hmm. it happens in some of others, uh, other works. And so I think all that is handled well. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie is where I come in on Interstellar. All right. Very good. Very good. What do you think, Dalton? You know, I'm... I'm somewhere between you two guys, I think. You know, I'm, I think we're, it sounds like we're all sort of landing somewhere similar, but for different reasons. Um, I, I also like the aesthetics of the Neo Dust Bowl, but it feels kind of like, I don't know, baby shit to me. Like, just make it about climate change. What are you doing? It's 2014. Like, we were already talking about this. Oh, I wasn't going to get into politics for my critique at all, but go I, on. <laughs> I'll go off. Go on, I'll go my on friend. and go off. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. Nolan, come on, guys. Like, you read the news. You're smart, dudes. You're not dumb. I've seen your movies. You're you're kind of clever. You you definitely think you're very clever based on the way you write shit. Good lord. So just to I don't know. It's an act of cowardice to me to not like address the issues of the day when they're so like why why invent a, a second dust bowl? It's just it's especially when the movie is so rooted in like science when it's it's so like that's so much what it wants to do. It just felt weird to me, and I'm also. You know, not to spoil, this is a movie that most people have seen, I feel like so, but you know, in, in the spirit of the show, I want to tread lightly with spoilers, so I'll say, for a movie that front loads the science, it's really weird how heavily they backload the fiction, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's so rooted in, in, you know, time dilation and relativity and, like like Arthur said, like trying to explain these real space-time concepts to the average moviegoer, and then it kind of throws all that shit out the window and says, we're going to do some space magic at the end. <laughs> Which is cool. Like, I get mm-hmm. it. I like it. And, you know, I think the emotional payoff in that sequence is there. But it, it just kind of feels disjointed from the rest of the movie for me. Uh, the things that I like, you guys have already mentioned, I, the production design is incredible. The The commitment to in-camera special effects when you don't have to do it just, like, really does sell it. It really makes the difference. Um, that said, it's also not, to me, that much more technically impressive than anything Kubrick did, you know, with with less computers, you know, good job. Good job, Christopher. You did great. But like you didn't break any new ground either to me. I that said the wormhole looks cool. The black hole looks cool. The planets look cool. Like the stuff that they couldn't have possibly done in the 60s. The robots like all of that shit rules. Uh, I love that Tars has a light that comes on when he's telling a joke. Come on. <laughs> Love it. Tars, my man. <laughs> McConaughey's wrong. Leave that humor at 90%. We love him joking about setting up a robot colony <laughs> and his new human slaves. Uh, yeah, one of my favorite characters in anything. This is maybe my favorite Matthew McConaughey performance, period. I think this is my favorite McConaughey it's character. Good. Yeah, yeah. It's I, good. I think he's really incredible here. I think he 
he sells the idea of of engineer pilot just by being Texas draw that Texas draw you you can you can buy okay that guy's that guy's an engineer I, yeah I know I know guys that have that accent that are also like really good at math yeah he, he sells it uh, and I like I like Hathaway even though she is given a monologue that's probably too sincere I I, I know the movie wants that monologue to work. I don't think it does. Mm. I really want, I want it to work personally as I'm watching it. I'm like, yeah, man, love does transcend space and time, baby. It's not working in this movie. <laughs> I want it to. It just, I don't know. It doesn't hit. Although, you know, I, when the movie wants you to cry, it, it does it make me cry a couple of times. Mm. You know, some of those, those, those moments when the theater's supposed to get dusty, like hit at home on my couch in the, you know, you know, this is our Thanksgiving episode and the burnout of the holidays, it still hit. So mm-hmm. when this movie works, it's working. But I'm with you guys. I've got just you know just enough stuff that sticks in my craw that it, I can't quite call it you know a perfect movie or a great. You know, I would say it's good to almost great. It's definitely a top five Nolan for me. I think. I think I like this better than maybe The Dark Knight even. Um, oh, I think it might be my favorite Nolan. Yeah, I think Dunkirk's my favorite. I think Dunkirk's the cleanest. It's prestige. Really, mm. Prestige is like bottom of the pack for me. I just, I, like I really lot, ba- I really bounced off of it when we rewatched. Prestige it for the is probably show. number two to me. So that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remembered you guys liked it when we rewatched it, but yeah, I was I'm still surprised how much I how much less I like that movie mm. on my my last watch. But yeah, I on this watch I hadn't seen this since theaters, and uh, watching it I was like, no, I think this is this is top of the pack for for Nolan for me. I do think it's quite good, even though I've I've got my my qualms with it. All right. Well, there you go, dear listener. We're, we're again. I I almost feel like we need to excuse ourselves. We're like we're, we're at least for myself anyway. Yeah. Why? I like this movie a lot. Well, you just yeah. said it's your favorite Nolan. It's my favorite Nolan. Yeah. Okay. So it's okay. Okay. No, we we're, we're, we're three just, white guys talking about movies. We are not allowed to like heap praise on Nolan without being critical. It's yeah, just yeah. it's just uninteresting. Yeah. But for hear, sure. For yeah. sure. I mean, I like it a lot. But yeah, that okay. Just that. I get what you're saying. Yeah. We're, we're, we are we are we have proven that we are thinking. Yeah, yes. we and like that, the movie. We like the movie. Okay, we're just we're thinking about it. Yeah, we're thinking a lot. So, all right, anyway, there you go. Uh, we're going to move on to the next part of the show, which is expanding the syllabus. Arthur, can you explain what that's about? I most certainly can. Thank you, friend. Expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. There you go, friends. Um, and so with that, um, Arthur, do you have a syllabus prepared for us today? Yeah, Delight I us. went with the uh, the Big E on the eye chart and I took uh, McConaughey's career oh, nice. uh, because this is definitely landing in, in the middle of his, uh, what it was called, the McConaissance. It's like the second phase of the McConaissance. Yeah. It's really it's kind of... Really picking up... Yeah. The, Steam here, yeah. uh, really like a like a rocket ship to the moon. If you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I want to go back and look at McConaughey's career because it is very interesting. It's a great career uh, by how much it's defined by just a few years of period in the early aughts. Uh, so we'll go back to part one, uh, what I've deemed part one here, and we're going to start with Dazed and Confused. Uh, this is the that eighties nineties period. He's working with big directors. He comes in working with Linklater, uh, supposed to be a small part. In uh, Dazed and Confused, and it kind of gets worked into a bigger role. A lot of ad-libbing here. Obviously, we get his big catchphrase, all right, all right, all right. Uh, which I just is... dropped one of the all rights for Morrison, baby. There it is. Uh, and so uh, we, we see him start here. He does a few other things. He does Time to Kill with Schumacher, gets big mm-hmm. uh, leading role there. Yeah. That movie opens, performs pretty well for a couple of weeks. Uh, he goes on to work with Zemeckis and Contact alongside Jodie Foster. Uh, and, and then kind of, I think ends this part of the period working with Spielberg and Amistad uh, there. So he's doing these big prestige movies. He's working with these big name directors who are, who are big established names in the eighties and nineties and really kind of working in different genres, different modes. He does some horror stuff. Um, he does, uh, I think, Frailty in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. He yeah. does uh, the Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, he's kind of all over the place. He's, he's you know, doing his reps. He's getting uh, movies under his belt. Uh, he's in a pretty good place. And then in the 2000s, early 2000s, 01 to 05 is the period I think most people really defined him by for a long time, even though it was such a short. And that is his rom com um, leading man persona. He, he does. He just did so many. Uh, I, not yeah, he does a handful, right? But I mean, it's how to lose a guy in ten days. He does a few others: failure to launch, That's fool's rush, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, fool's gold. Uh, he does the other one. Is it made Manhattan or two weeks notice? One of those. Uh, made Manhattan, I think. Is or him. yeah, one of those. Yeah, uh, there with J Lo. 
Yes. Right, yeah, the J-Lo's what I was thinking of. He does a few of those, uh, and that's really what defines his career, and it kind of becomes a joke in Hollywood, I think, for a lot of audiences mm-hmm. for a lot of especially probably male audiences like well because he's also doing like sahara he's he's his, yeah. like his adventure movies are kind of not really hitting yeah so he, he really i think gets into this run of taking movies maybe getting easy paycheck types of things we find out you know he's just kind of a hippie he just likes having a good time that's mcconaughey uh and then around 2006 uh i think he starts to get a little more serious again about his career he does we are marshall Mm. Um, it's kind of prestige football film about a real life tragedy. Uh, he goes from there. He does the Lincoln lawyer, which really kicks off what would become that reconnaissance, uh, where he starts doing more dramatic roles, starts working kind of different genres again. Uh, I think this kind of wraps up with, uh, his major turn as Russ Cole in, uh, true detective on HBO. I was just I was just thinking about all of his goofy lines. I I couldn't pick one to do, but I'm just like, what a what a performance! It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is a, a career defining moment. I think to really yeah. where he begins to re-cement himself, uh, and that takes us into this kind of you know p- kind of post reconnaissance period. So he starts doing Interstellar. He wins an Oscar, mm-hmm. uh, and now he's at a place where he's steal scenes of, and Magic Mike. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's doing that, and then I end here with probably a couple of uh, I think parallels that show him at both poles of his career and, and the kind of things he can still do because I've got him working Serenity where he once again routines with Anne Hathaway mm. kind of a uh, critically appalled uh, genre piece uh, that's goofy and Movie silly. we should probably do on the show at some at point, some point it yeah. sounds really fascinating. It's, it is wild. I love Firefly. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, and then Harmony Corinne's The Beach Bum is where I'd end this because yeah, I dude. think that shows yeah. the breadth of where he is in his career, what he can do. He can still take risks and he can do something like The Beach Bum, uh, but he's still going to have some... Uh, uh, wild turkey money, uh, some Lincoln money, can do what he wants, uh, and then he can do a serenity, gets panned, he works with Guy Ritchie, does The Gentleman. He's He's got this flexibility now to kind of do whatever, and he's rebuilt a reputation that people are really, really interested to see what he's going to do next and yeah. get on board with what he's going to do and not really have that uh, tarnish of the, the rom-com guy that he was in the early aughts. And so that's what we do. We'd look at McConaughey's career and just follow the ups and downs of that and the interesting moves he's made. Yeah, that's fun. I love seeing some good star studies, so I'm I'm all there for that. We love a good star study. You know which one I'm curious about? I never saw. It's that's kind of in this later period you're talking about where he's like fully out of the reconnaissance, can do whatever he wants. It's White Boy Rick. Yeah, I always wanted to I see that. Either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what, um, there is a there's a there's a role he's got also in that late McConaughey post reconnaissance period where he plays uh, the Randall Flag, uh, Walter O'Dim, uh, Dark Tower in the Dark Tower. I thought about putting it on here, yeah, man, because he. Uh, that movie's good. bad. It's that, kind of that, on the nose, but really good casting. Yeah, it's like he is, he's so, we so need a good version of that or that series to come out, and they need to bring McConaughey back for it because he's, yeah. he really is ideal for it. I think yeah. they nailed the casting on that. I think, I mean, uh, it, yeah, it's, he, it's, he's got that good, like, the scripting wasn't charismatic menace, and then of course, Idris Elba can, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, can do anything. Yeah, yeah. The, the mistake really is the screenplay is just kind of broken, but that's it's kind of like a sequel to the it, series. It, it is right? a sequel to the series. That's the intention there, but they sort of they they denuded the series of all of its heft. And they've turned it into a child young adult adventure story, which is just not what it's not what it is. But anyway, that's a brief stop in the King Corner. Uh, D- Dustin has strong opinions about the Dark Tower. <laughs> uh, he, he's a big fan of that series. Uh, Dalton, do you have a syllabus? Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what this is yet, um, but I, I think it's something. Um, There's so many movies where the awe of space is used as sort of a metaphor or mm-hmm. a uh, substitute for sort of religious awe. And I, I think that there's a, kind of a, a core canon of this this type of movie, Um so I kind of went with some of the obvious ones like 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, both versions of Solaris. Um, and I also went with the, the recent James Gray Ad Astra, which I think does a lot with this. And I also went with uh, The Martian, which does a lot less with this, but I th- still think is kind of rooted in a sort of like secular humanism mm. that makes this work still. Because I think all of these movies are like explorations of like the search for extraterrestrial life or the search for bigness in the universe and again, it is all kind of rooted in like a, a metaphor as a, a quest for the divine type thing, especially in 2001, especially mm-hmm. in Interstellar. I think they're both very much operating in a like, we have to find the thing. We have to find the magic thing. 
that that is behind the scene operating behind the scenes and i'm just kind of curious and all and especially at astro right where it you know spoilers for that movie that we've talked about on the show uh but at the end of that when uh you know brad pitt gets to jk simmons at the end of pluto or where, where the edge of pluto or wherever they're at and he's like oh i i didn't find any aliens and i've gone crazy from it that i think that like really kind of is ooh. Ooh, it's interesting. I, I love I love the the space divine movie where they they find nothing and it drives somebody mad and somebody else has to like take that knowledge and go okay well that's all right we just yeah. you know, we just gonna have to go on keep hunting we just we just keep going uh, and again I think all of these approach this from a different perspective and have different goals and you know a different aim but I think they're all kind of interested in the same sort of search and the same sort of questioning. And I'm sure there's some obvious picks that I've left off because it's so, I mean, you don't even have to use space. I mean, you could probably use anything about, you know, long expeditions and any, any voyage into the unknown, I, I think could probably subbed in here. But I think those, those, those space films that I've picked are kind of the obvious selections. Uh, does anything come to mind for you? Any, anything that I've left off? I mean, Solaris and 2001 are sort of like two big ones, obviously. Uh, as far as like, I mean, contact. I mean, with oh, McConaughey sure. again. Yeah, yeah, of course. I've, which I've I've not gotten to, but I know is you know really well regarded. Mm-hmm. Um, and is definitely toying with those same like themes. Yeah, right, I mean, as you, far you as can go to Star Trek Five, where they actually are looking for God. Oh yeah, that's which is right. Terrible. But yeah, but still kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's such a a recurrent theme throughout uh, space exploration films. What is Sunshine in both? I mean, what's well, Sunshine? Sunshine is, uh, well, I haven't I, seen it so it's, long. It's coming up on my syllabus here in a minute. Oh, I'm so sorry to but... jump ahead. I, my, my apologies. <laughs> I, well, I was going to say, I, I think I think different things about it. I mean, there's some metaphysics to it, but, um, yeah. and, and, and I have a different angle than Dalton. And mm-hmm. I also, this is probably a good place to introduce it because I see Interstellar less as a search for God than a, how do we circumvent the apocalypse story? Sure, that, which is it's a, definitely which, that. Which is a different kind of thing in science fiction. I do think there's like this interpinging of the supernatural that happens in these kind of movies. Sunshine's got a little bit of that, and this movie's got a little bit of that. In though, in so far as it's not the supernatural, it is uh, just something that's beyond mm. the dimensions of our sort of experience, which is an interesting way of thinking about. Which all, and I think, I mean, 2001's ones like that, you know, Solaris yeah. is like that. They're all. Not technically supernatural. They're just right. beyond the limits of our understanding, which right. I think is an interesting way to engage with supernatural ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but um, specifically, the way in which we are looking for ways to save ourselves from ourselves mm-hmm. directly. Uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine is a little different there because the sun's sort of going out on its own accord. Uh, but but there's characters who are driven mad by that proximity towards the bigness that is the sun. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So that the human like frailty does kind of become part of part of the conflict. Yeah. So that that one's the sort of the odd man out a little mm-hmm. bit here. But uh, the other film I would pair with that and with Interstellar is um, Alfonso Cuarón's Children of Men. Oh, I thought we were going to say Gravity. Okay. No. Sure, 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 though. Yeah, I understand yeah, yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah. so, and, 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 and so, what, what, what do you say? It's such a good movie. <laughs> it, it is. It's so good. Just, it is. It's, it's yeah. incredibly well-made yeah, Top film. five for me, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, it's a great movie. And, but this idea of, you know, we infertility and working that out. And again, there are ways in which there are echoes of the religious, but I don't really see this sort of spiritual intervention so much in, in any of those films, as much as it is human beings who are willing to think and consider and to dream and to hope that that there there's a there's an aspect to which faith is that which drives but there isn't uh the deus ex monica coming down mm-hmm. uh it is the, the it is well the metaphysics of love that which is I, I mean why i thought of interstellar as one of these movies yeah I guess. Yeah, yeah yeah that that love itself is a sort of metaphysical force mm-hmm. and that's powerful and uh, that that by its very existence and uh, a, a human being or set of human beings refusal to acknowledge that they sort of um uh they 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 use their navigation. They use it as their true north, right? And mm-hmm. they keep going in that direction. And through that, they are able to find solutions to these sort of real world kind of human problems. And I think in some ways, Children of Men and uh, Danny Boyle's uh, Sunshine are more successful because they do engage in politics in ways that I don't see Interstellar really doing. But we'll talk more about that maybe. I think maybe right now. Right, right now, because I believe we got to get down to business.
there's two there's two sort of parallel thoughts I have right now mm. about what Interstellar is doing it, with regard to its dealing with sort of climate change, economic sort of um, you know the Dust Bowl itself and uh, those kinds of problems, and also the sort of typical political arguments. I just recently watched a little uh, CBS short video on uh, the new Artemis Project. We are here in, in the week of b- the beginning of the new Artemis Projects. Tell me more. Uh, we're going the moon again. Oh, we are? Yeah, we, we, just launched I hadn't a, heard. we just launched a rocket that's going to be the rocket that we're going to put people on. Oh, okay. And so it's, uh, it's on a test flight above us at this very moment, swinging around the moon. Just seeing if it, making sure it works. Yeah, making sure everything, yeah, we can put humans in, they don't cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is bad, to cook the humans. You don't want to do that. Yeah, generally we try to avoid that. This is a NASA mission? This is a NASA mission. Wow. And so, yeah, and the whole idea is to treat the moon, to create a staging location on the moon. Uh, yeah, they want to mine. They want to mine that puppy. Well, they do, but they want to get us to Mars. Is why so they, they can want, mine that puppy. So they can mine that puppy. I mean, you know, we're running out of lithium, baby. Yeah, the exploitation <laughs> side of this, yeah. is, yeah, and colonization side of this is huge uh, there. But I, I think the movie runs on two tracks here. So I don't know what your pleasure, gentlemen, in far as engaging this is. The Arthur I- made a face. He doesn't like it when you ask about his pleasure. <laughs> well, I hear men are afraid of it. Um, <laughs> we, have, we have discussed this. Yes. <laughs> My questions are. And pick your take your poison as you wish. Mm-hmm. Uh, my questions are: What do we think about the sort of dealing with funds used for exploration for pure science, mm-hmm. that kind of thing as a waste? Because there is a way in which the film engages with that versus a film in which we use. Uh, again, sort of real life, real world sort of problems as a framing device, but we don't really engage with dealing with those problems, as you were mentioning earlier about the sort of drought and, mm-hmm. and uh, again, climate change, you know, last year for okra ever, and mm-hmm. now we all, all we can grow is corn. Four different kinds of corn at dinner, a souffle and a corn on the cob. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and popcorn. And, oh, and fritters. That was the yeah, other one. Yeah, popcorn at baseball is just uh, improper, right? Um, I love that line from <laughs> yeah, the hot dog. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, so, I mean, what's, what's your pleasure, fellas? Uh, do we want to talk about the, the film sort of failure to engage with that, that politics? Or do we want to talk about science fiction's tendency to valorize, you know, exploration for exploration's sake and that debate where, well, we got money to spend down here. Why don't we do that kind of stuff? Well, let's do both because okay. I think they're related questions. Yes. I th- yeah. Um, I'm so interested in the the school teacher who is saying, oh, yeah, well, the moon mission was propaganda. <laughs> it's That's a, just it's the- such a good Kubrick joke. And a uh-huh. good plot bit go on yeah. though. Yeah, it's it's interesting that in this the world of this this story that has become the the company line for public schools uh, is is to, I guess, discourage trying to get off the planet. I don't know. This this is to me where the the film's politics are kind of weird. Right, we were meant to look at the stars and wonder about our place, not worry about dying in the dirt. Whatever the fuck that means. I don't know. <laughs> Put money into fixing this dumb rock we're on. I, it's, yeah, it's really bleak. I all, all of this is because it's like, you know, what do my taxes go to? Well, they don't go to the university. What are they going to? Then? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You're not really building out this world, so we better understand our situation, our scenario, our characters are living in. Yeah, it has a very bleak outlook of all organizations except for NASA. Which yeah, is just kind of interesting. Yeah. That it, it looks at NASA as like this this shining light on a hill as an organization that can do no wrong. Which, I mean, you know, as as government agencies go, they're one of the least nefarious ones. But you know, I'm sure there's something about NASA that we could all find and go, oh no, God yeah. no! I mean, I'm sure the number of chimps they've killed is through the roof. Right. Well, and the 17 human astronauts they've killed. That's true. So there's that. But, yeah. Forgot um, about but- that. <laughs> <laughs> did it for, did, did, did sort of put that on my mind for a moment. You're right, but, but they're, they're famous for overrunning budgets. You know, sure. they, they 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 never ever can come in. Mm-hmm. You know, at a, at a, at the at the price, and that that's sort of a, a state of criticism. And, and again, this idea of Whitey on the moon, etc. Right? Yeah, yeah. And oh man, uh, which is which is. Uh, yeah, are you glad I brought that up? Yeah, I, I am because I mean, I, it, it's one of those things where it it seems like we cannot find a way to negotiate having. Walking and chewing gum at the same time, mm-hmm. you know that we can sort of do better at dealing with domestic issues, really doing some hard problem solving, um, planet side, and also recognizing that the, that exploration itself is an engine that drives discovery, that drives solutions to real world problems, mm-hmm. and which is a good, you know, a kind of a good conclusion for the movie to come to, right? That mm-hmm. the 
discovery in the black hole is what allows us to build these giant generational space stations. It, it is, you know, it is sort of an interesting way to solve the square that circle, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, or at the very least, give the movie a statement that doesn't feel like confused. Right. But at the same time, like, I don't see that... that the- I don't see that the rock is um, needs to be abandoned. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm all for this idea of exploration, mm-hmm. and again, this idea of you know having a problem to solve. That's how you develop new technologies. Mm-hmm. That you know is just you know uh, necessity being the mother of invention. And so I've got to get this thing done. How do I figure it out? Right. That's 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 good for science. That's good science as far as a, as a methodology speaks. But at the same time, it it, it makes it like it, this is either pie in the sky by and by or it is, you know, boots on the ground, dealing with real world kind of problems. And it just, I get frustrated by the sort of dualism here. Yeah, and I know part of it is the invention of the screenplay, right? Is mm-hmm. this second Dust Bowl, this, this, this planet-killing Dust Bowl that is, you know, seemingly unstoppable. You know, there's both, like, vegetational blight going on and, like, topsoil erosion or something. Like, we don't really get the full rundown on what's happening. Well, the, the movie refuses to say it's because yeah. of climate change. Yeah, exactly. So we're given reason to believe that this is unfixable, whatever's happening. And you're right, the movie refuses say it's about climate change but it is sort of hard to not watch it and assume it's a climate change allegory mm-hmm. um i i don't know again i question the intelligence of the nolans for brushing up against it and not acknowledging it mm-hmm. it's just kind of cowardly yeah uh, for lack of a better way to put it uh but it it, it is interesting insofar as like because the movie does know how to have its cake and eat it too later right it says well, well we can have a generational space station and do a you know a planet colony like it, it it has the belief in doing multiple plan a and plan b it believes they can both be done mm-hmm. but it is interesting like where it says it, it still like assumes that abandoning the planet is a necessity right and i just like i don't know we should be careful about those narratives because there's a lot of people on this planet saying we should abandon it and i got a newsflash for you that's not for everybody no no taking up picking up sticks and moving off the planet is not going to be for everybody if if anybody ever tries that well it raises a much more important kind of question who are the ones who get to go on the life-saving generational Uh, space to yeah do everybody get to go yeah it sounds like there's multiple stations because they say murph has to transfer over from one station to cooper station to see her dad when they rescue him Mm -hmm. right so presumably there's multiple like arcs but i don't assume that eight billion people all got turbo lifted I don't either. And that seems to be a problem. Uh, they sort of do gloss over what happened to the entire population of Earth. They they just sort of hand wave it away. And it does make you wonder. Yeah. And, and, and then again, the ones who don't end up getting those opportunities are overwhelmingly, you know, Whitey on the moon. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Whitey that's getting up onto this sort of stuff. And it's mm-hmm. not, you know, black and brown and other peoples that are going to make their way, you know, are going to get invited onto the space tube. Well, and, and we can go back to the text right now, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because Dr. Mann, um, Damon's character, has that line about how we can deeply, selflessly care about those we know, but that empathy rarely extends bet- beyond our line of sight, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, I don't know that the movie agrees with that. I don't think it does. No. But it also is kind of naive, or at least very optimistic as far as, like, what it thinks we can do or, or what its aims. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. uh, well, and, and then feel the, like I'm hitting just a the colonial hubris of the thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like, well, here's the thing. Uh, either we're the only ones out here. And again, I, no one's universe sort of posits there are no aliens. Right. And so there's, yeah. there's nobody else out there. So the, the, fu- the intervention comes from future humans. Mm-hmm. We, we are given to believe. So the world is all our, the universe is all ours to mm-hmm. take, to do whatever it is we want, which is exactly the kind of mindset that sort of began, a lot of the colonial sort of genocidal kind of behaviors that happened before uh, whatever life we might encounter on other planets might be very, very different from our own. And I, I've yet to see some science fiction that really kind of wrestles in that direction, you know, at least big budget sort of blockbuster science fiction. I mean, there's definitely some short stories and some explorations here and there, but well, and Michael Caine's professor Brandt, you know, of course, says that we have to think as a species, not as individuals, right? Another another moment from the text where but mm-hmm. but his version of that is abandoning the planet. Yes. <laughs> his 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 idea of thinking of, of a species is uh more about uh, lowest common denominator survival and, and less about like actual thriving mm-hmm. or, or trying to maintain humanistic principles in that, that pursuit of survival. Uh which, you know, I mean that's that's an age old question, right? Can you can you remain humane while trying to pursue survival like that's you know pr- plenty of fiction has dealt with that question 
Right. So. And, and again, and, and my, my, my question is, what about those planets? You know, what about existing life on those planets? The ways in which we're going to change mold and make those into our own. I mean, uh, there's a certain way in which the sort of presence of any sort of organism is going to change any kind of ecosystem. And so I don't know if there's a fundamental ethical wrong there mm-hmm. by introducing a species of either plant, animal, flora, fauna, it doesn't matter. That's, you know, I think it's something worth considering. But, the, the, again, this sort of human supremacy is, is what I, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm raging a little bit against the anthropocentrism of it. Mm-hmm. Because what about the p- potentiality of those plants developing other sentient life forms is now going to be um in some senses retarded because of now the presence of a you know a higher evolution a higher evolved species sure right and so i don't know I just... well we also don't deal with you know animal life on planet earth in this movie at all mm-hmm. it's just kind of a, a non-issue uh, presumably because there's no hot dogs at baseball games meets dunzo mm-hmm. because there's not enough vegetation to feed livestock mm-hmm. well you know that's kind of just a kind of periphery of the movie question that we sort of get a glimpse of we don't mm-hmm. really we don't really know but you're right I and mean, again abandoning the planet assumes probably abandoning all animal life on the planet although they probably wouldn't mind it yeah as you know one one way to think about it yeah um all right well what else do we want to talk about regarding this film do we want to talk about how it gets all weebly wobbly timey wimey or because i don't really have any quantum physics thoughts <laughs> Yeah, I certainly do not either. Uh, I appreciate, (laughs) I guess I think we can all appreciate as film lovers that the attempts towards, uh, you know, scientific verisimilitude, Mm -hmm. right? I think that's cool. I I can appreciate it at that level. But yeah, as as somebody who's not a scientist, it is sort of over my head other than like, I kind of, you know, other than that, the movie explains to me how, you know, time dilation works. I'm like, okay, I could kind of get behind that. I feel like it's too confusing or anything, but also it's just like, I can't glean any like big thing from it. Cause yeah. I'm not going to read a Kip Thorne book in, in conjunction with watching the movie. You didn't read a brief history of time. Just no, I certainly did not. Podcast. I, no. you know, I certainly did not. Oh, did you know? Well, no, me neither. It thematically fills in line with what Nolan's been working, you know, previous to this and, and playing with time and, uh, shifting timelines and things like that. So it feels just like something he's super interested in. Is it, it's the, maybe the most Nolan-y movie in that regard, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I see a lot of Inception here, right? Mm-hmm. You know, going in, there's landing on this planet, which is at a different time, which is very similar to the different subconsciouses and the different times Inception. that's going there. Yeah, yeah. Know, the the desire to get back to your children and the the knowing that there's a ticking clock on yeah. how long they're going to be children. Yeah. Uh, you know, very much guy who's off making movies a lot I type do, shit to be worrying about. Uh, it does seem to be maybe his most personal, I think. Maybe in some mm-hmm. ways it feels... The, it, the most emotional, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, he is kind of criticized largely for being ascetic as a director. Or not, maybe that's not the right way to put it. Cold? Uh, cold, yeah. That's yeah. a better way to put it. Yeah. Uh, antiseptic was mm-hmm. I think, the word mm-hmm. I was actually thinking of. But yeah, he's 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 definitely not known for being so this this movie like being very heart forward you know you got the the love transcend space and time speech of course but you know a lot of crying just close-ups on mcconaughey losing it mm-hmm. um so i think you're right as far as the personal stuff goes it definitely feels like it definitely gives the uh the kids calling him woodcock joke a lot more context mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i i, I, I thought forgot about that yeah, yeah, yeah i did think a lot about finding man on um the the planet that they thought they were gonna be able to live on mm, and then man's he, lie and man's lie and man you trying coward. taking off into a sort of faraway place and trying to kill um mcconaughey's character now that we're in full spoiler territory yeah. there's some real cain and abel kind of stuff going on there huh. you know with it i i thought about i don't know that there's much there there no there's than, like a, yeah i, I kind of see why you would say that there's this yeah. big wide almost god's eye view of them fighting on the surface of the planet yeah. at one point yeah it's kind of just like oh man's inhumanity to man brother against brother yeah i yeah. i don't know why everything is any anything vaguely philosophical has to be to mcconaughey voice this episode but <laughs> totally acceptable by lincoln yeah, by Lincoln. <laughs> but yeah, I, it does. It does feel like you know, um, they, they he drew him out and then tried to slide, sl- slew him with a rock kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, yeah, it, it feels very much along those lines. And the, the, then there's the rescue, but yeah. so it doesn't you know fully fill, fulfill that kind of thing. But it, it, it gestures towards a sort of mythic kind of Genesis yeah. kind of stuff, you know, yeah. or even Silmarillion kind of Tolkien esque kind of things. But yeah, it doesn't quite ever 
you know do much with it. But yeah. I, I, I like it. I like well, that. Yeah, and it gestures towards man as sort of the the, the failure of humanity, mm-hmm. right? It gestures towards him as the the looking out for the individual over looking out for the species. He kind of represents that within the within the movie, right? Yeah. So it it is kind of perfect for him to be that character to be that late in the game heel, as Arthur Arthur said. Um, he shows up at a perfect time in the movie. I think he kind of breathes new life into it. Uh, really, for me, I, I think mm-hmm. his his waking up. You're like, ooh, okay, this is new, exciting. For me, it like really kind of pushes you into that last act of the movie, mm-hmm. kind of gets you over that hill. I love Matt Damon's choices in yeah. roles. I just, I just love that he just refuses to to be a good guy all the time, and the the the, the sort of types of flawed men he picks to play i just i just really i i'm kudos to him it makes you wonder about it, what, how much self-awareness there is going on because he is kind of a schmuck you know, mm-hmm. he sticks his foot in his mouth in public all the time he does crypto commercials like he is not probably a good person at some yeah, level probably it's, not you know, yeah. it's hard to be a good person when you have that much money Facts. Um, but I think you're right. He picks complicated characters. You yeah. know, he's man, and even in something recent like The Last Duel, he's not. I mean, yeah, he's he's the guy, quote unquote, defending his wife in that movie. But he does not come across looking like a cool guy mm-hmm. in The Last Duel if you've seen it. Uh, so you're right. He he is picking complicated stuff. Yeah, I just yeah, I, that's not really an analysis bit there as no, much as sure. I, just, I just really want to give a little appreciation, appreciation. for. His his agent, if not Damon himself, <laughs> you know, it's because there's some good work going on there. Yeah. Well, let's render a verdict then, shall we? With Interstellar, what is it? What we do with this movie? Shall we put it on a shelf, or shall we lightly, or maybe with great vehemence, place it in a black hole of the trash can? Uh, what say you first, Dalton? Oh, you went to me because I was making a face. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to very delicately put this on the trash, and I will tell you why. Uh, I think there are better space movies. I think there are better three-hour-long space movies. Uh, And that really does kind of come down to that. I think this film's length is rewarding. Mm -hmm. I think if you can stick with this movie, if you can stay in the pocket, I I think it does reward you for the time investment. I don't think it's a waste of your time. I think if you're a Nolan completionist, of course you should own this movie. I think if you're a McConaughey or a Hathaway completionist, or even a Damon completionist, you should own this movie. Not, not, not to mention all the great supporting actors that are in this. The John Lithgow completionists, you yeah, know, there's so many of them. <laughs> but I mean, this this movie is ownable for lots of folks. For general mass ownership, I don't I don't know that you need to see it. If you miss this in theaters, it's kind of like missing Gravity in theaters. Like it's still good. Watch it when it's streaming, but like you don't need to like break yourself trying to, to get mm-hmm. this watched i i don't think if you've never caught up with it you're you're fine to miss it, it, it you know it's okay i think there are better nolan movies uh i think he's 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 a filmmaker i have a complicated relationship with i can never decide how much i like the guy uh, he just kind of drives me crazy um but uh, I, I think this is one of his stronger films but it's just it's not quite shelfable for me mm. um for for a couple of reasons that you know we've discussed arthur what about you I'm glad Dalton broke the ice because yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. It's very gentle mm-hmm. uh, trashing. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's 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 again it's a good movie, but it's not a great movie for me. And I mean, like with the caveats, right? If you feel like you can sit through a three hour space epic, yeah, sure, go ahead and watch it. But uh, for me, it is not. I don't think essential in that way. So. That's where I'm at with it. So I don't think Christopher Nolan is an essential director. Therefore, this movie is not essential, even though it's the best one of his movies. You know what? And that's what you Gentle get when you, when you come to the good trash genre cast. You know, you do not always get what you expect. Would you <laughs> expect a podcast of three white guys talking about movies to be a little Nolan bro heavy? Yes, of course. Why wouldn't you? But, you know, we, 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 we keep it complicated. It's really good Nolan. It's good Nolan. Now... Do you, we've talked about a lot of his work on this show over mm-hmm. the last 10 years. Uh, Prestige, Dark Knight, this, um, I guess just those three. Am I missing anything else? We did Memento a long time oh, ago. Oh my God, Noir Memento's November, very one good. of our very yeah. first movies. So just we've covered enough of his work, and I'm sure we've all seen all of his stuff. Why do you think he's unessential? Uh, I, I don't know that... <sighs> Has he has he not made the career defining film yet? Auteurism itself has played out for me a little. Sure. Um, so there's that to start out with. Although I, I I do find it a useful tool. I made an argument for it not very long ago in a thing I had to write. Uh, yeah, that you was have to painful. give Hoyt, um, you have to give Hoyt Van Hoytema and uh, Hans Zimmer a whole lot of credit for work, what works about this movie. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I I, I I don't know that um, his vision itself. To me, is still uh, still a little diffuse. I really don't know what he cares about. 
I, I, I'm, I'm still waiting to find out what that thing is. Yeah, it seems like he cares about making movies, but he feels really guilty for missing time with his kids for making movies. <laughs> yeah, and well, that's what I get out of his, his pictures. Right. Uh, I think he's got an interesting cinematic imagination. I, I, I think he's able to say, hey, what if I made Batman like a James Bond movie? You mm-hmm. know, good idea. And, and, and does fine with that. What if I um, sort of put this sort of, you know, puzzle box movie together and it's about memory and it's memento or it's about dreams and it's inception? I, I think those are those are both interesting sort of ideas. What if I made a war movie that kind of played with my times obsessions but did it in a way that wasn't totally annoying? Yeah, yeah. And, and so then they're, they're, those are – but they're all really – thematically, I, I, I find them to be a little too messy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that he is sort of um, – you know, Karan's got this great line about how um, he do, he hates uh, cinema that's hostage to plot, and he makes plot hostage to cinema. And it seems like Nolan heard that and said, "Ooh, good idea," and then failed to get a theme. It, it, it yeah, that's he is I'm a plotty thinking. guy, and uh, yeah, I think you're right that that might the films might be in service to that. Yeah, a little, a little too much sometimes. Yeah, the film bro culture around him. Hurts. It puts a bad taste in my mouth for sure. Yeah, it's he's one of those guys who's like, there are a certain group of fans who you know he's never going to make a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his next movie is going to be a masterpiece. Well, and they love without the pu- even knowing anything. about I don't know it. that he's made a bad movie. No, no. I, I don't. I, I can't. I can't. I, I agree with that. So he's not also, God's gift to cinema. Yeah. No, and I think that's the dangerous line. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, ten years ago, I probably would have had a much different response to that question. I know I would have. I think I would have. But I think just the breadth of cinema and, and seeing more movies from different filmmakers at different levels, you know, around the world, indie blockbuster, you know, there are other storytells as competent. It, it, it is that thing that he is so bloody and so grandiose that I think people are drawn, you know, he's so, you know, they love, it's Jonathan. The, yeah, it's they, not just Chris. They Jonathan's love the mystery stories box. on table. They love mm-hmm. the mystery box and Jonathan's a mystery box guy. And, and yeah. I, and I think they do compose huge cinematic experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that, the, that, I mean, I think that the ephemerality is there. That's yeah. the problem is that once you've experienced it is okay, it's fine. And at the end of the day, the other person who crafts big cinematic experiences is Michael Bay. And in 50 years, we'll, have a better comparison of Michael Bay and Christopher Nolan and what history leaves them with. I think you're very right. I but think those, you're on to something I, there. I, well, I, you know, our I friend, hadn't thought of in those our terms mutual at all, friend but... Griffin I, is somebody I've seen put them kind of side by side as a comparison before. Wow. And I, I think it's a very astute to compare them because I think no, no one is just brainier McBay. 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 <laughs> 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 oh man. But, but for real though, if no one can get over his film, his, uh, uh, analog film fetish and play with some drones like Mike. That could be interesting. Oh man, yeah, I'm, yeah. Oh, I'm just thinking about Ambulance. I, I would. Here's the thing: Ambulance is not a great movie. I would rewatch Ambulance right now before yeah. I rewatched any any Nolan movie, probably because it's just doing some crazy bullshit. So yeah, interesting. I, I think that he's a Bay's an interesting person to pull, and I not I don't think the first comparison in most people would come to. I, I think you're right. I think in fifty years it'll be kind of fun to look back on on those two and kind of compare and contrast them. All right, fair enough. All right, well there you go. Those are our thoughts on that. If you want to tell us why we're wrong, oh internet, hello, we're on Spotify now. More, more people might be finding us. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, if if you are. As offended as I am <laughs> that we did this much time on Interstellar and that much time on 9 to 5. <laughs> I agree. It was the run up to the holidays. We were kind of rushed. What are you going to do? But you can tell us we're shitheads. Uh, email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for your long form feedback. Uh, you can also find us over on Twitter. Is that still a thing while you're listening to this? Who knows? Uh, every day it seems like a, a new question about Twitter arises. Uh, that's at Good Trash Media over there, at Good Trash Media on Twitter if you want to find us uh, tweeting about things that we like, shows that we uh, produce or are in the orbit of, uh, or just fun film articles that we find. Last but certainly not least, if you want to help us keep the lights on, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM and find out what's in it for you. Uh, again, we keep the show free ad uh, and ad free. It's something that we uh, love to do and is important to us. But if you want to help us, uh, you know, buy movies that aren't on streaming or, again, pay our web hosting fees, it's patreon.com forward slash GTM. You can find out all kinds of fun stuff like um, how to get a movie from Arthur or how to pick a movie for us to talk about on the show. Um, All kinds of fun stuff over there. 
patreon.com forward slash GTM. Thank you very much for that, Dalton. So, Arthur, what's happening next? Uh, a marathon, right? Well, next week, as the movie cycle has kind of gotten a bit more regular in theaters and, you know, quote unquote, back to normal, um, we're going to bring back a thing we used to do before the pandemic where we take a look at the big blind spots we had for the year. Uh, so this month of December uh, that's coming up, we're going to be looking at 2022 releases uh, that we didn't get to catch in theaters and that we want to catch up with. So blind spots for at least the, whoever's choosing the film. Mm-hmm. Some of us may have seen it, but the person choosing the film has not caught up with it. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to end this marathon with uh, the highest grossing domestic film of the year as well. Uh, we have to take America's temperature. As of right now is still Top Gun Maverick. So fingers crossed uh, <laughs> because that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, God bless it. Um, I love that Highest movie. grossing movie on Memorial Day and on Labor Day. Let, Hard let, to believe. Let's see what Wakanda does. But yeah. yeah I, it's it's I'm got about $400 million to go. So it's good. I mean, it I don't could, think you can do it in three weeks. It could end up beating it next year. But yeah, I don't think in 2022 it's going to beat I it. I mean, you, you said it. Top Gun Maverick had a theatrical run of months mm-hmm. huge making numbers yeah they put it back in imax that almost never happens yeah uh so i'm expecting that's what we'll be getting the year on and i'm very excited about that but first uh to get us started dustin uh is going to be picking the first film so what is the movie of 2022 you are hoping to catch up with uh, i tried at one point to get to the theater and just circumstances did not allow this to happen um but as you all know of my love of the great david cronenberg and so i select uh crimes of the future that kooky canuck the one and only so that's what we're going to watch next <laughs> week. it's going to be a good time so you keep watching we'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time <laughs>